Welcome to the Creative Pen Podcast. I'm Joanna Penn, thriller author and creative entrepreneur, bringing you interviews, inspiration and information on writing, publishing options and marketing ideas for your book. You can find the episode show notes, your free author blueprint and lots more information at thecreativepen.com and that's pen with a double n. And here's the show. Hello creatives, I'm Joanna Penn and this is episode number 688 of the podcast and it is Friday the 21st of April 2023 as I record this. In today's show, I'm talking to Halima Katoon about how to get publicity for your book. And yes, we are talking about press releases and getting attention from traditional media, as well as discussing the question of is it worth it when pay-per-click advertising and other forms of direct uh, methods of marketing can be seen to be more productive in terms of actually selling books. But Halima has some really good points about why uh, publicity and PR and all of that is good for authors. So that's coming up in the interview section. In publishing and book marketing news, well, the Alliance of Independent Authors released the results of the Indie Author Income Survey this week uh, of more than 2,000 authors involved found that self-publishing authors earn more than writers with publishers. And indie author incomes are rising year on year, which is a good counter to the doom and gloom spiralling downwards author income surveys we've heard recently. So in 2022, the medium the median <laughs> median income of primary income self-publishing authors was 12,749 US dollars. Still not tons if you want to make a living wage, but certainly more than the traditional publishing surveys, which put it at around 6,000 to 8,000 as the median. The average income was over $80,000 with almost a quarter not yet started to earn, bringing in around zero to 1,000. 28% earned more than $50,000 and almost a fifth ran six-figure publishing businesses. You can find the survey results in much more detail at selfpublishingadvice.org forward slash income survey. Links as ever in the show notes. Also, a bit of an update on a previous guest on the show, Johnny B. Truant, who was on the podcast in February 2022, back in episode 607, to talk about his the pivots, various pivots on his creative journey. And Johnny and I, uh, I, I first took one of Johnny's courses way back in the early days, like 2008. And then Johnny pivoted into fiction writing. And many of you who've been around a while will remember Johnny from the early days of indie and the self-publishing podcast podcast with uh, along with Sean Platt and David Wright. So they now have a story studio and one of Johnny's early novels, which actually started as a joke on the podcast, the novel Fat Vampire, was optioned for a TV show and is now out as Reginald the Vampire. And Johnny has put put a long blog post up about how the book was made into a, a TV show and all the various things about that. So I'll link in the show notes, but basically johnnybtruant.com and uh, there is a post there, Fat Vampire to Reginald the Vampire. And I mean, even just the, the title change is interesting in itself. But yeah, I mean, many of us would love to get our books optioned as a TV show. And it's also really interesting that it was one of Johnny's early novels and he would probably say, you know, he's become a much better writer. <laughs> since the beginning. But that idea was what captured um, an exec's eye. And in fact, the executive saw it on Apple Books. So uh, that's always interesting too. So yeah, you can go and check that out. And then what I'm now calling AI and futurist news. <laughs> so last week's introduction set off a little explosion in the indie author community around Michael Anderley's goal of 10,000 books in a year. And thanks to Michael for taking the flaming arrows which have been hurled at him in order to bring this conversation into the indie mainstream. If we can't talk about these things openly, then people will just do it without telling other people. And one of my 
goals, I guess, with this show and what I do and many of us in the indie community is to make this really open and accepting and friendly place to be. So I would certainly like to keep it that way. You may not agree with what other people do, but that doesn't matter. It would be nice to be able to talk about them in public. So yes, Michael's taken some flaming arrows this week and he posted an article going into more detail on the 20 books to 50k Facebook group. And so if you go to Facebook, search for 20 books to 50k and then search for Michael Anderley, you can see his post. It's an excellent post and we are also going to record a discussion in early May along with Dan Wood from Draft to Digital where we will discuss this more. But to excerpt from that post on Facebook, it ends with a statement I absolutely agree with. Stop attacking, start reflecting and see the future as new and unique. Think through these new opportunities and see what options are opening up for you and those who you care about. AI isn't going back into the past. Stare past your anxiety, I know I had to, and figure out how to grab the opportunities. So I love that from Michael and that's exactly what we need to do. We need to use all these things that are happening at the moment to spur us on because the future is new and unique indeed. And I'm spending, personally, I'm spending a lot of time really thinking about the business I want to shape for myself for the next 15 years. So I started self-publishing in this existing model in 2008 at the very beginning of eBooks, digital audio, social media and internet enabled creativity and business. It is really about time that that model was disrupted. Now there have been many disruptions along the way, for example Kindle Unlimited and the rise of subscriptions has definitely uh, disrupted quite a lot of uh, one particular model, but things are changing again and I am not intending to be left on the sidelines in this new wave of change. Now remember, it's about surfing the wave of change rather than drowning in it. Now, right now, I know it feels to some people like they are drowning in it. And I've certainly been splashing around (laughs) uh, trying to be orientated, like which direction do I swim for the wave? And I I know I'm taking the metaphor um, quite far, but I certainly have those feelings of like I'm drowning, I don't know how to deal with this. Um, And I expect to have more of them. But I also intend to build a new surfboard and ride this wave. So I'm reading a lot. Uh, I obviously, (laughs) I find that it helps me to read, but also to write. So I'm reading a book at the moment you might also find useful. It's called Build for Tomorrow by Jason Pfeiffer. F-E-I-F-E-R. And it is an action plan for embracing change, adapting fast and future proofing your career. That's build for tomorrow. And the first phase of the book is called panic. And it feels like the author community is mainly in that phase right now. Well, some people are just denial. They're in denial uh, and other people are in panic. So check out that book if you need reassurance of what happens after panic and how do we move past that. I'm finding it useful. Also, if you want to hear some other voices discussing AI, check out the Dialogue Doctor episode last week with Jeff Elkins and Jay Thorne, episode 139, The Future of Publishing is Now. Now, after that episode, and I had um, shared it, I think, on Twitter, one of my audience, Leah, and she gave me permission to share her comment. Leah sent me a whole load of questions, and she's clearly trying to work through her own feelings about AI. And she concluded... I realise one big positive is the encouragement to pursue my unique voice and passions. I had mapped out a traditional indie-style writing route, genre-specific, rapid release, series, etc. And that will not be abandoned. However, adding a layer of discovery onto the mix could be exciting. The chance to genre-bend, write out of the box, or just listen to the stories calling to me that may have been too different, can be seen as a gift. I will embrace that attitude as I move forward. And I absolutely agree with this from Leah. Everything we write, even if we co-write with AI, and as I've mentioned, I'm calling myself now an AI-assisted artisan author. Everything we write has to be more human, more unique, more personal, more connected to our audience. I also like this quote from Jay Akunzo on Twitter, and he has the Unthinkable podcast. Jay's tweet said, and I'll link to it in the show notes. He says, 
a bright line is being drawn between creators today. Some think the job is to create content. Others know the job is to create connect. When you learn to matter more, you need to beg for attention less. Keep making what matters. So this is where we're going. For some, the job is to create content. For others, the job is to create connect. Or I, I would prefer connection. I think that would be better English. <laughs> But you get the point. Creating content versus connection. And that's kind of how I'm thinking about my next stages of things. And I guess, I mean, even this introduction to the show, early on in my podcasting career, I thought it was all about content. And the interview is the content part, as in it is the, it's what the headline is, it's what the content is. A lot of people do come to this podcast to listen to the content of the interview. But a lot of people now come for this bit, for the connection between you and me. And many of you who come up to me like this week, people came up to me at London Book Fair. It is the podcast. It is this bit of the podcast that they are connecting with me through. And so I didn't really, I mean, I've only been doing this introduction for what, only about six years compared to the original, like four years or five years, or whatever, when I didn't do an introduction. But what I learned is that podcasting is actually about your connection with the host, um, not necessarily with the interview. And many people tell me that they sometimes listen to the interview, but sometimes don't, but they always listen to the introduction. So I think this is a very interesting thing. And like I said, I'm really considering what I want to focus on. Now, I also had a meeting at London Book Fair with my foreign rights agency, who are Dropcap, and they said there was an interest in my book, Career Change, and was I going to do a new edition? And it's funny because I've actually been thinking about this anyway. I'm a writer. I figure out what I think by writing. I don't even know what I think until I write. That's why this is useful. I mean, you, you, you can hear it when I'm reading from my prepared notes and you can hear it when I kind of go off script like now because <laughs> it's full of more filler words and giggling. <laughs> But yeah, I'm a writer. I figure out what I think by writing and my career is changing again as it did back in 2008 when the first edition of Career Change came out. Back then it was called How to Enjoy Your Job or Find a New One. And then in, uh, I re-pivoted that into Career Change and then I did a little bit of an update in 2012. But this will be a new, a new edition with a lot. And I've been reading it through thinking a lot of it's very evergreen. And in fact, I had someone the other week say, I got your book only a few months ago and it really changed my life. And I was like, Okay, that's good. It's an evergreen nonfiction book, but I need to do another edition. I've also had people asking me for a workbook and I don't have one and I don't want to make one until I have a new edition. So as I think about how my own career is changing with AI, I figure a new edition of Career Change is possibly the best use of my time right now because I have been working on Catacomb in various points. But I am finding my own thoughts on this entire process of co-writing with GPT-4, for fiction particularly, quite challenging. So I am going to do a new edition of Career Change and use it to work through my thoughts. And it's not specifically for authors, but of course, my examples are always personal. And that to me is a, it is not content, it is actually connection. I mean, that book is content, but it is very personal as well. So I do also want to broach the conversation of writing with AI as a new art form. I, it also kind of annoys me that the whole discussion is on using AI to generate mass content because there are lots of us who want to be AI-assisted artisans as well, which is very different. And in the visual art community, they're calling AI-generated images driven by human prompting as synthography, a new art form. In the same way as photography developed and painters and people who were painting at the time and drawing at the time were saying, this is not real art. Photography is not real art. And it's like, you're just using a machine. Of course, the machine, we, you cannot deny that photography is an art. I mean, I take photos on my phone and post them on social media, but that is not photography as an art form. Now, so synthography, I really like. We could actually use the same word, but um, the art community are kind of taking that. But I think the same will happen for writing and music and all of our creativity. 
Too many people talk about AI-assisted creativity as being crap in some way and other rude words. <laughs> in the same way that some say books written quickly must be crap. But in my experience, co-writing with GPT-4 is helping me go deeper. I can discuss, I say discuss, I mean, it, you really, again, you still have to try writing with GPT-4 to understand how this feels. But it feels very, very different. And it feels like a personal a personal AI writing coach who prompts me to go deeper and deeper, maybe like an, an editor, just what, how can I go deeper on this idea? And so I'm writing, yeah, very differently, I think, in, in a way. But it is trained on the finished product of words, not the first drafts, unless you're posting first drafts. And it's trained on human output. So it's very human and emotional. And in this vein, I want to point you to a new book. It's called, <laughs> I'm not sure about the title. I think it's a little on the nose as such, but the title is Death of an Author from Pushkin Press, which is Malcolm Gladwell's audio first production company, which specializes in direct sales. Now it publishes on the 9th of May, 2023, and I'm going to read from their press release. As sophisticated machines like OpenAI's ChatGPT4 continue to spark media attention and public debate, one thing is definitive we can't put the AI genie back in the bottle. Now the creative community finds itself at a new frontier, the groundbreaking synthesis between man and machine. Journalist Stephen Marsh, who has been immersed in the world of artificial intelligence since 2017, is a staunch believer in the benefits of AI as a tool for creative expression. Could he merge his deep knowledge of literature and the writing process with his access to three cutting-edge AI writing platforms, some of which are not publicly available, to create a truly rich and rewarding listening and reading experience? Death of an Author, on sale May 9th, 2023, by Pushkin Industries, is the result of his taking up the challenge, a gripping mystery that is 95% written by AI and 5% by Marsh, who skillfully crafted the story outline and machine prompts. So just to repeat that, this is Marsh, who is 5%, they've said it's a 5% by him, crafting the story outline and the original idea, presumably, and the machine prompts, 95% written by AI. Death of an Author is a work of fiction that uncovers the dazzling possibilities of natural language processing in all of its eerie mystique. Death of an Author follows Gus Dupin, or Dupin, I guess if he's French, <laughs> literary critic and scholar, who has just been invited to the funeral of celebrated author and now murder victim Peggy Furman. Determined to find out who killed her and why, it is not long before Dupin finds himself at the centre of an experiment at Marlowe AI, a large language model company. As he attempts to unravel the mystery of Furman's death, he comes closer and closer to becoming the next victim. Death of an author raises one of today's most pressing questions. What is the true relationship between human and machine? The world has become deeply afraid of artificial intelligence, Marsh says. I hope that Death of an Author can show that AI also has the potential to be a powerful tool for the creation of unprecedented and beautiful art. Death of an Author is an act of hope in the promise of human-technology interaction. In the afterword, he illuminates his AI-driven creative process and makes the strong case that the synthesis of art and technology should be embraced. As the debate around AI's potential harm to creators swirls, Pushkin is boldly and playfully embracing new technology. Masterfully read by industry veteran, veteran Eduardo Ballerini, presumably a human, the award-winning audiobook narrator of titles including Carl Ove Nosgaard's My Struggle and others, uh, this is the next genre-defying audiobook from Pushkin, whose other notable audiobooks include Miracle and Wonder by Malcolm Gladwell. So you can pre-order it now, buy direct from Pushkin, pre-order on all the usual stores. So I think this is really interesting. I have reached out to see if I can interview Stephen uh, about this, because this is where I would prefer our discussion to go now. Michael Anderley has very 
I'm I'm very grateful, and I've said this to him, and I say it again now. I'm very grateful to Michael for bringing up the example of high production with AI. But what I want to talk about is this artistic expression with AI assistance, which to me, as a creator, is pushing me to new places and uh, going deeper than I have before. So to me, that that is the direction I'm going in. And so, yeah, this is fascinating stuff. And AI-assisted art synthography is what I'm interested in, not high production. And I'm not saying there's anything wrong with high production. If that's your business model, you go for it. <laughs> it's not mine. <laughs> right. For those also, for those who say that these platforms are going to ban AI generated books, this is another example where use of AI, and this is 95% AI, is explicitly stated. And yet the book is selling on all the platforms, like Impromptu by Reid Hoffman, which I mentioned last week, and is a Wall Street Journal bestseller as well as an Amazon bestseller. So, yes. When you are talking about these things or when you're trying to form your opinion on these things, look for what is going on. These things are changing every single day right now. It is, it does feel like drowning sometimes, but this is where we have to pick a direction. And like I said, this is my direction. Uh, so I'll be doing more on this and finding more examples of this. So in my personal update, well, I was at London Book Fair this week. Speak, I have spoke twice uh, on being a technology-enabled author and also on the Book Vault session about direct book sales. And yes, remember, you can buy my books at creativepenbooks.com. <laughs> Guaranteed to not be pirated or plagiarised. Uh, well, I mean, they could be pirated and plagiarised somewhere else, but if you buy them from me, creativepenbooks.com, then you know they are from me and I get the money. Uh, I also had a lot of meetings, business and personal, and I met lots of authors and some patrons. If you're listening, thank you so much for coming and saying hello and also your questions. And I had some gifts and it was just very lovely. So I really appreciate everyone. Thank you for your kind words, your support. And if I looked a little bit like a rabbit in the headlights, it is because this introvert still finds big events tough and tiring. I actually had to leave early. I went to the Ally, the Alliance of Independent Authors party and only stayed like 10 minutes. I just, I couldn't cope anymore. It's like my body vibrates at a very, very high level and then it just goes into shutdown mode. <laughs> so I really wanted to stay, but I just couldn't. And I spent yesterday in bed recovering with a migraine. And I'm not sure if this has got worse for me since the pandemic, because we had that kind of time when we didn't do any of this uh, or whether my tolerance has changed because of um, COVID or I don't know getting older or whatever it is or if it's just lack of practice but this is another aspect and why I'm telling you this is because I have to find a way to figure out my energy management. I have to do this. I'm an introvert, yes, and I, I'm on one of those sensitive spectrum things where sound and noise and light and everything becomes quite crazy. In fact, like, for example, I barely ever listen to music. Sound is very intense for me. So, um, and I wear earplugs a lot of the time. <laughs> But yeah, doubling down on being human in this age of AI means I am intending to do more events. I want to run my own my um, own live online things and also do more here in Bath and maybe some retreats. Um, I also want to speak at some events, specifically chosen events, but also attend events because even attending events is quite intense. So if you are an introvert or a highly sensitive person and you found a way to manage your energy, then um, please let me know. Or if you're someone who professionally <laughs> advises people like me into how to do this, or if you're a professional speaker who's learned to manage this, I would like to know what your tips are. And in fact, Sasha Black did uh, tell me about new headphones. Well, they're not headphones, they're just kind of earplugs that still work a little bit. Uh, I think they're called Loop. I will investigate those. Um, but if you have any other tips, please let me know, joanna at thecreativepen.com, as I really want to figure this out. And the answer is not avoidance. Now, if you're like me and you've been avoiding these human experiences because of social anxiety, uh, and I'll just, you know, put it out there. I have, again, I have an element of that. And <laughs> after a certain time of day, I use a gin and tonic to help with that. <laughs> But that's not um, sustainable or something I can do from breakfast. <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, I would I would like to know your tips. I would like to figure this out. We need to do more human activity. So, yeah, there we go. 
So thanks for your emails and tweets and comments. Max said, thanks for the discussion on publishing with John Barton. It's always interesting to hear about the business side of what makes a book business work. And the tips on things to watch out for in contracts was eye-opening. Thanks, Max. Angela sent a picture. Today I walked my pups along the castle crag of Drakenfels, uh, famous for Byron, near my house, and listened to your recent podcast episode, a brilliant one. Thank you, Angela. And thanks to everyone. Remember, you can tweet me at The Creative Pen, send me pictures of where you're listening, email me, joanna at thecreativepen.com, or leave a comment on the blog or the YouTube channel. I love to hear from you. It makes this more of a conversation. Right, today's show is sponsored by Drafter Digital, and I will play a word from Kevin Tumlinson in a minute. Now, I use Drafter Digital for publishing to Nook, library services, and also for my co-written book, The Relaxed Author, with Mark Leslie Lefebvre, as Drafter Digital offer automatic payment splitting, which is super useful, and you can do that for ebooks and print books, which is fantastic if you co-write and you don't have to manage all of that yourself. So this type of corporate sponsorship pays for the hosting, transcription and editing, but my time is sponsored by my wonderful patrons who um, this week, hopefully, <laughs> in fact, I might already have sent it out as this goes out. I do um, patron-only Q&A where I answer your questions on writing, publishing, book marketing, business, AI and more. So thanks to new patrons this week, Eva, Dee Dupuis and William Marshall. And if you find the show useful uh, in any way and you would also like to get the Patreon uh, extra Q&A, you can support the show with a few dollars or euros or pounds or Canadian dollars or whatever to fuel my coffee habits. <laughs> and my gin and tonic habit at events, clearly. Uh, you can support the show at patreon.com, p-a-t-r-e-o-n.com forward slash the creative pen. Right, here's a word from draft to digital and then we'll get on with the interview. Hi, this is Kevin Tomlinson with draft to digital Ebooks are amazing, but there's just something about having your book in print. The crack of the spine, the weight and feel, the smell. Ah, everybody loves a good paperback. And that's why we built D2D Print. It's the easiest way to get your book from pixel to print with just a couple of clicks. We take care of you with free layout templates and formatting, and we can convert your ebook cover into a full wraparound print cover automatically. And if you run into trouble, we're just an email away with all the author support you've come to know and love. Come check out D2D Print and all the cool tools we've built for you. Find more at d2d.tips slash creative pen. That's pen with two N's. Halima Katoon is the award-winning author of romantic comedy novels, including The Secret Diary of an Arranged Marriage. And today we're talking about her non-fiction book, Priceless Publicity, How to Get Money Can't Buy Media Coverage for Your Business. So welcome to the show, Halima. Thank you for having me, Joanna. Oh, no, I'm excited to talk about this topic. But first up, tell us a bit more about you and how you got into writing and also PR. Okay, so I always wanted to write. Um, I, there was never any other creative outlet or any other career option for me, even when I was growing up. So I sort of lived in libraries when I was younger. And uh, the funny story I, I always share is at the age of 12, I actually wrote a book, believe it or not, <laughs> 60,000 words, a coming of age children's book, which I thought would be the next JK Rowling with a slash of Stand By Me for Girls. It didn't do any of those things. And I remember sending it to Penguin and the like, thinking it's going to, they're going to love it. They're going to bite my hand off. And they didn't. And I was 12 and probably had a bit more work to do. I sort of, as I grew up, I parked that idea because I always thought writing isn't really, being an author isn't really a career per se. You know, you get the people that make mega books and then there's everyone else. So I did what I thought was a sensible option. I still wanted to write. So I went into uh, journalism. I did broadcast journalism for my postgrad and I did ITV and BBC and that was great fun. But I quickly realised that it's less about the writing and more about getting stories short and snappy and to the point and camera angles, etc. So I navigated to what they call is the dark side of PR, which basically is sitting on the other side of a journalist. So your my job was then to 
bring stories to the media. So I'd be on the other side and speaking to clients, trying to really find the story behind their story, if that makes sense. So I, I did a lot of healthcare PR. So for example, if I was speaking to a, a hospital consultant about a procedure, that might seem like quite a dry subject. So what I would do is I would find a case study, a patient who'd had the procedure and talk about how their life had changed from how it was to how it is now. And I'd go into the national media, the regional, local broadcast media and I really enjoyed it to the point I still do some private consulting to this day I then went freelance so I set up as a limited company and I had my own clients with a view that I laugh now with a view that it'd be great when I think about having children having a family I could work around them I had this notion that children nap and then I had (laughs) my babies so um that didn't I didn't quite do as much but one of the beauties and I think it came full circle with my circumstances with not really working as much in PR purely because of time when I had my daughter I revisited this idea of writing a book and the idea of the secret diary of an arranged marriage came to me because I found that nobody really written about it so there's already a fixed narrative in the media often the term arranged marriage gets interchanged with forced marriage it gets mixed up and I thought why don't I write something that's like the brown Bridget Jones and show the funny side and the cringeworthy side and really give a nuanced picture and people loved it and that was that was the best thing so I suddenly I didn't know anything about self-publishing I assumed I'd go to agents and go the traditional route and I quickly realized I didn't want to spend years shopping it around and sending query letters. And then I kind of stumbled upon this whole amazing world of self-publishing and how you can actually be in charge of your career and your author career. And I learned the notion of you're not just an author, you're a business owner when you have books and you self-publish because you're in charge of every aspect of it. And I really got my teeth into that. And the way I sort of, so that was one book, and then I did The Secret Diary of a Bengali Bridezilla, and then there was a third book, and now I'm working on the fourth, all while I raised my children. So my daughter's now five, and my son is two. And luckily, my husband has taken them out while I'm doing this podcast. <laughs> and then, um, you know, got to keep it safe. You, you know, you don't know who's going to scream while I'm in the middle of talking. So the priceless publicity idea came about because I thought, I've built my, firstly, I thought I've built my career in this. And one of the beauties of being able to do my own PR was I thought, well, I've done it for clients all these years. Why not get some publicity for myself, for my books? And it was a no brainer because one of the things for me personally was I had a little bit of imposter syndrome when I self-published. And I think a lot of authors do because you don't have that gatekeeper and that sort of validation of even if it's a small press, oh, it was published you know, it was published by somebody else by a tradi- in the traditional route. And I didn't have that. And I thought, I really want it to stand up alongside traditionally published books. So I set about generating my own PR. So I wrote press releases around the angle of the story. I talked about my backstory being a mum. At, at the time, I was my son was a newborn and I was nursing my daughter before he was born, writing the draft. And then I published it the month before he was born, which was crazy in hindsight but the idea was that I had all these different angles to pull apart and it did great I generated lots of media coverage um regional coverage and I was on the BBC they had a a BBC radio they had a whole topic around my pitch which is around arranged marriages are they outdated are they misunderstood and I was on a panel with other people and I think for me the sort of it culminated in a full page spread in good housekeeping where I was talking about my career as an author and how I'd kind of had this almost second career having gone tried to write a book when I was much younger gone into PR and now doing this so I just suddenly thought when I was going through the self-publishing process and learning about all the different nuances I saw a lot of parallels between independent authors and business owners because we're constantly told you have to think of it like a business for it to thrive and I remember in my uh, PR career, when I'd gone solo, when I'd become a limited company, one of the things I started doing was training up business owners because they wanted to learn about how to do their own publicity because they couldn't afford me on a retainer. They couldn't afford a PR agency that charges four figures a month, five figures a month. They needed something that they could do themselves in their own time 
while running their business. So for me, it was almost a light bulb moment. And I thought I generated this great PR that I felt leveled me up with mm. authors, with, sorry, with traditionally published authors. And I didn't have this hang up of kind of, oh, it's self-published. People will think it's not as good because if it was good enough for a journalist to publish stories about my books and me, it was good enough, you know, to, to stand up there and be read. And the other thing is I noticed that I was getting traction and recognition and I know that sort of PR is seen as a bit woolly and a bit vague because you can't necessarily quantify it the way you can pay per click. However, it was one of those touchstones of marketing. We talk a lot about seven touchstones and it was that sort of recognition and sort of planting that seed that you're out there and you have a book and people started recognizing it. And I remember one of the reviews on the secret diary of an arranged marriage was someone saying, I I bought this as an impulse buy after reading about her in Good Housekeeping. And I was like, oh, it works, you know. Hmm. And I thought more people need to do this because as authors, we juggle a lot of hats and there's a lot of focus on social media and rightly so TikTok is blowing up. But actually, and when I say traditional media, it's not just newspapers and magazines anymore. I mean, I'm on your amazing podcast talking about my book. That is me PRing my book. So actually, there's so many different outlets and it's about having the confidence and the tips and the know-how to be able to get out there and pitch with confidence to a journalist and find the story within your business, within your books and what Mm. you probably have under your nose and don't realise. And I thought more people need to know about this. So that's why I wrote Priceless Publicity. And then on a personal level, it was also really nice for me to marry my kind of new career as an author with my the career I built over years as a PR consultant and putting them together to really help others has been quite amazing and it's kind of it does feel like it's come full circle on my journey yeah well that's fantastic there's so much so much in what you just said that I want to explore further so you've mentioned a couple of times the story behind the story and having done some of this myself and seen other people well I get pitched all the time obviously I get pitched every day and one of the most common pitches is I've written a book can I come on your podcast and like it could be any book like without even thinking what my audience is about so can you explain what the story behind the story is as in how can an author go beyond here's a book? Well, there's a few things. And I think the first thing I wanted to say was, and I think the story behind the story, I've written a book is actually can work for some media outlets. And the reason I say that is because, and I think authors forget this, but your book is a product. So if, for example, you went to your local press and said, I've written this book and it's about X, Y, Z, they would be interested because essentially it's launching a new product. And if you think about, you might think, oh, but my, it's just a book. But actually, the mobile phones, I always use this example, but mobile phones have been around for decades now, but it still doesn't stop iPhone bringing a new one out and then getting coverage off the back of it. So for certain outlets, it is worth remembering that your book is a product and that's a story in itself. The story behind the story, now there's different ways of looking at it. So for me, the example for my fiction books, the story behind the story was I was a I had an unusual writing habit. I was a mum and I was literally nursing my daughter and writing the first very rough drafts of my book on my iPhone notes. And to this day, that's my initial method. I take walks for my with my son in his pram and I'll dictate to myself, looking a little bit like a crazy one walking down the street. But that works for me. And that was quite unusual because it was the human interest angle. And it's kind of writing against the odds in a way because it was, you know, I didn't, I still don't have the seafront office working on it, but it's kind of showing the different ways of doing things. Can we just be more specific on that one? So were you pitching a mum does unusual thing whilst nursing, as in, was it a mum pitch or was it a writer pitch? Because obviously I get a lot of writer pitches. And to me, that that is not unusual at all. Uh, that is not an unusual way to write. So I'm wondering how you pitched that. Was it like the mum side or what angle and to, to what kind of press, I guess? Yeah. So there's different angles. And this is the thing that's really important. Different press require different angles. So an example of 
that story was actually the Manchester Evening News, which is a big regional in where I live in Manchester. And that came about because I actually won an award. I won a, a Best Adult Fiction Award for my book, which may seem arbitrary in, in the author space, but actually the media loved it. So when he was interviewing me and talking to me, I mentioned my unusual writing habit. And that was the most interesting thing for him. It was the headline was Mum Drafts Book on iPhone Notes and Wins an Award. A oh, national okay. award. If I went to the mom press, absolutely, that would be the angle. So your mother and made baby magazine. Um, the good housekeeping angle was a bit of that. And again, it was the award winning book. But if you went to, for example, and I would advise this to all authors, if, for example, you started with your local media, they want to champion a local person done good. So they would be interested in the fact that you've written a story, you've published a story, and it could be. And I think this is a really important point. You come up, you mentioned that's not unusual to you. You know what I mentioned about the writing habit. And sometimes I think we can discount discount potential interesting stories because it's usual for us. Mm-hmm. However, it might be interesting to a reader who knows nothing about the author world. Mm-hmm. So the fact that you say it's not unusual, but actually the interesting thing is to another person, they're like, wow, how did you manage? How did you do that while we're pushing a pram? And how does that work? And I think sometimes, and there's definitely a balance. And I talk a lot in my book about this, that there's a bit of a litmus test where you can ask yourself certain questions to see if it's a story. But I think sometimes it's always worth bearing in mind that sometimes we can be our own worst cynic in a way and we can be our own sort of biggest barrier because we assume something's not interesting but actually it's because it's so normal to us but another example might be you know you could have had a complete career change and gone into writing and it could be the complete opposite of what you're doing that's another interesting angle and another thing could be for example and I like I say I know they're arbitrary but Book awards do generate media coverage because, again, the media love an award story, the local media, the regional media. They love to champion someone that's done well. Another angle could be if you've got an unusual take on a story. So, for example, you've written a sort of northern English take on Game of Thrones or something something very against the norm, something you wouldn't expect. And I know in our sort of author world we talk about tried and true tropes but actually there is room if you did a twist on a traditional genre or a traditional tale that would be of interest so it's really kind of asking certain questions and the things to begin with are you know before you even think about what media I would say find the stories and think, okay what is new what is different you mm. know are you booking a trend and a really simple thing and again we a lot of us will forget this day to day Business development, which might not necessarily make your books fly off the shelves, but it does add to your whole roster of media coverage. So, for example, if you're writing by yourself and suddenly you've hired a PA, you're growing your business. That's development. And a lot of people would think, so what? I would never think to pitch that. But actually, you're growing your brand. That's You, double, you doubled your business growth in terms of personnel. So it's really looking at and I talk about this a lot more in detail in the book, but it's looking at the different areas that might be of interest to a journalist and then thinking about, okay, would it be of interest to my local press? Would it be of interest to my regional? If, for example, you have a niche topic and there's magazines out there. So with my work, The Secret Diary of an Arranged Marriage, it was a lot of my readers, I've actually got a broad spread of readers, but there was within there a niche of British Asian people, British Asian women. So I went to the niche media. So I was on the BBC Asian Network. I was on certain niche publications and I went to a lot of the local press. So there's lots of different things. There's lots of different angles. So it's really about starting from the beginning and asking yourself the questions and thinking, okay, what is different? What is new? What have I got to say about my books? And then mm. you can look at, okay, what marrying that with what media would potentially be interested. Yeah. No, that's fantastic. And again, your book is so full of tips. And But that's the thing. You didn't pitch me about the secret diary of an arranged marriage because, well, I just don't know if that would have stood out. What you pitched me was what will help my audience, which is this priceless publicity book. So that's a perfect example of tailoring it. But I did want to come back on a couple of things. So you mentioned niche publications there, but you also mentioned before that you got on a panel around the arranged marriage thing. Now, obviously, culturally, you can talk about those things. You mentioned the brown Bridget Jones earlier, which I thought was a great little tagline. (laughs) 
But this is something that I've worried about in the past and something I'm also thinking about now, which is sometimes PR people want the personal story behind the story. And sometimes we don't necessarily want people to know more about that. So for example, I've just written this memoir called Pilgrimage, and there are aspects in there about midlife and menopause and mental health. And I, on the one hand, I want people to hear about it. On the other hand, I'm kind of terrified that I might end up on TV talking about something that's frankly terrifying, I guess. So how do we balance that? The desire to get the book out there, but also protecting our personal stories. I mean, it's tough to things to balance, right? How have you dealt with that? Absolutely. And it really is, as you say, it is a balancing act. So I think it's, for me, it has been very clear about boundaries of what I will talk about and what I won't, and really being clear in your mind. So you've almost got to give it, so if you're pitching a personal story, which by the way, um, thank you for sharing, that sounds great. I um, had a little nosy. So it's what is within your comfort zone to talk about. So with my book, it's it's not my memoir, but of course, like with all fiction, it's snippets of my life, others, etc., And a lot of people obviously will naturally say, so how much of it is your story? And I was very clear about how much I could mention that would still be interesting enough and what things were off the table, which um, journalists were very receptive to. And the thing, to give you another example that helps around that is, and I know a lot of authors struggle with things like if you have a pen name, if you want to be quite anonymous. So certain things, if I'm honest, will be harder. So you're not going to be able to get the human interest angles if you don't want to be pictured or you don't want to talk about yourself. But it's not to say all media will be shut off to you because there are other opportunities, like I mentioned about the business development angles, the award angles, because I the example I have is aside from my books, I write a lifestyle blog and it started off very frivolous talking about lipsticks and things like that. And then as I had children, it pivoted slightly towards being a mum and one of the things I my boundaries is I don't put pictures of my children on publicly on social media that's just my thing so certain journalists would say oh we would like to have a picture of your children if possible but the workaround was I'd explain so for example I was in mother and baby magazine and the angle was I gave birth in the midst of a pandemic Mm. and then I got to also mention my book within the article so the story you know the photos we did were quite strategic where kind of like Hannah I was holding my son but you couldn't see his face and my daughter was holding a toy and and they were fine with that not to say everybody necessarily will but I just wanted to stress that there, there are ways around it and certain publications will be very receptive and the thing to bear in mind is They'll only know the information you give them, if that makes sense. So when you write a press release, when you have your pitch, when you have your points, if there's something you don't want to mention or you don't want to go there, you wouldn't include that in your pitch. But perhaps the thing to be prepared about, and I appreciate the feeling of terror because I I get it. I mean, I was talking about a subject that doesn't really get talked about, so I 100% understand. I think thinking of every eventuality and being prepared is a big help. So it's almost like, and I don't want to sound scary, but I taught a lot of crisis communications, which is coming up with having to think of all the questions. And I know you mentioned that people are often criticised in the media on subjects around your, your book. So thinking about, well, what are the criticisms? What do they bring up? What do they, um, you know, what what do they sort of say? What do the media publish about them that's negative? And then thinking, okay, how would I combat that how would I account for that what can I say about it what's my narrative and my story so with my books the back of my mind was what if some journalists think oh you're trying to promote arranged marriages or some kind of archaic out-of-date tradition so luckily that that didn't actually come up however I I was prepared for those questions that might come up and how I would answer it and say well I'm not actually promoting it at all it's a very nuanced view it's not a negative view but I'm showing the good bad and the ugly and ultimately, it's a story that all women can relate to, all people can relate to sort of that desire to settle down. And that was me being prepared. So it's worth sitting down almost and thinking, OK, what could they ask that might be tricky? Mm, and yeah. how would I answer that? What can I say? What can I bring to the table? Mm. No, that's great. Okay, well, let's get into some more specifics about actually getting some attention. (laughs) So, I mean, one of the things many of us get as authors is as soon as you self-publish a book, you'll get emails from some spam companies who say, pay us $200 and we will send out a press release and they'll put it on that 
PR newswire or whatever it is, and it will just spam go out to hundreds and hundreds of people. So what is the best way to do a press release? A much more tailored approach than that, I would say. <laughs> so if we talk about, we talked about the key points you'd want, the key angles that might be of interest. And then once you think of a few angles or even one angle, think, okay, who would be interested? And that goes back to looking at the media and sort of reading the magazines, newspapers, listening to podcasts, looking at online magazines and news sites, which is huge now, and thinking, okay, do I have a place within that? Can my book sit within that? And this is the thing when I pitched in, to come on this podcast, it wasn't about, as you say, it wasn't about the secret diary of arranged marriage because to all intents and purposes, that's another fiction book. It was about what can I do to help? So that's absolutely the right way to go into it. Think, what can I do that would be of interest to this magazine or newspaper or website? So Mm. for example, if you're a non-fiction author and you're writing about finance and how to keep your finances in check as a family, are there any money websites? Are there any family websites that would be of it that would be interested in the story? If you're doing a fiction book, again, it's is the fiction is the story based in another area? Would that area's local publication be interested? What about my local publication? Would they also be interested? you know, once you've got the angles, if you want to go more national, it's looking at, do they have a section that would, that I could actually see myself in? So for example, I got a national piece in Metro magazine. And again, it was talking about the misconceptions when I got married. And it was kind of people asking me certain questions about how I met my husband. And it's kind of like well-meaning welfare questions, but I remember the awkwardness around it. So that was a pitch because they have a section called first person. Mm. And that's a national mainstream magazine. So it's any kind of first person story they'd take. So it's looking at what you can bring to the table when you've got your angles and just seeing how you marry your story with what they need. And that's almost the simplest way of looking at it. But it is actually, once you strip away all the how to write a press release, how to do it, how to pitch, that is simply what we're doing. We're giving a story that promotes our work to a journalist in a way that they would want to write it or present it. Mm, Okay, so we've got our topic, we've got our publication that we want to pitch. So do we need to find a named journalist or do we email it? Do we put it in the post with a copy of our book? What do we do to get this to the right person? So the way I would go about it is email for sure. And I would find the journalist. And this is a little secret I'm going to share. So obviously, swanky PR agencies, of which I was a part of a while ago, will subscribe to these super expensive databases, which throws up hundreds of um, journalist names. I would honestly say Google is your friend. If you go onto any, even the magazines and newspapers, they always have an online version. And there you'll see a list of the journalists. So it might be a local area journalist, it might be a journalist on a topic like a political journalist or a lifestyle editor. Find the journalist that writes the kind of stories that you can see being featured with and then just email them and getting in in touch. And what I would suggest is for authors that are first starting to do their own PR, a full press release is quite daunting and quite a big undertaking. I would actually start with a pitch and it would be as simple as, hi, name of the journalist. I think this would be of interest to you because I'm literally a two or three sentence pitch, which is, what my story is. And when I say what my story is, I don't mean about the book necessarily, unless you're pitching your book to an editor who's doing a book curation, book features. I mean, the actual story. So for example, with your story, you want to speak to lifestyle press, it would be with your nonfiction book, it would be this is my story, I'm writing this book out of keeping fit and healthy through menopause and going on walking and pilgrimages. This is why it would be of interest to your readers give them the why, and then you've offered them your story on a plate. And then it's simply saying for more information or pictures, do let me know if you need anything else. Mm. And that's always a lot better than sending a blanket email to all and sundry because they will know it's a blanket email to everybody. Yeah. Yeah. It is very, very obvious. I mean, I I get pictures that say, dear 
podcaster and then it's about a visa card <laughs> offer or something like utterly ridiculous things that obviously are just spam spam pitches but they still seem to get through and it's just very annoying but no I really like that and so let's t- take it a, a step further let's say someone's actually interested <laughs> someone said yes I would really like to talk to you <laughs> so I mean you mentioned first up really thinking about what some of the you know we've got our points and we've now thought about the negative things anything else in terms of preparing for an interview, whether that's on a radio station or whether that's someone coming and taking photos of you or an interview, what are some things or lessons learned uh, or things to avoid, I guess? So the first thing is don't panic. I think it's (laughs) really important to remember it's a great thing. And I've had clients when I've trained them up in the past saying, oh my gosh, this journalist has come back and said, can you write an 800 word article about it? And I'm terrified. And I say, that's an amazing thing because an 800 word article is huge. And that is you. That is a big space for you to talk about what you're trying to promote. So there's different ways a journalist will get in touch. And the first thing is, and I joke and say, don't panic, but really don't. They're just like you and me. I always mention this and I say it in the book, they are overworked, underpaid. And that's why sometimes they might be a little bit to the point because your email will be among a sea of hundreds and they're always on a deadline. So that's why they have to be quite picky. And sometimes, like I say, get to the point of the story. They will come back to you saying what they want. So they might say, often they're quite receptive. If they know you're not a PR person, they'll say, oh, have you got any more information? You can put together a few bullet points. Then you give them that. If they want to interview you over the phone, which I must say is a little less and less these days, more because journalists don't have the time that they used to. It's a different world for them now. They're often on a deadline and they're often short-staffed. And sadly, they might not be based in even the area that they cover. So what they'll often say is, have you got a press release? If they call you for a phone interview, which I'm not saying they don't, I've been asked a few times. Again, it's preparation. So maybe having the key questions to ask yourself. So it's kind of what they might ask you. Why is your reason for writing the story? What's different? What's unusual? The things that also you want to get across, it's really worth having written down just in front of you. So you're not nervous and tongue tied. I think if they ask for a photo, it's always worth all authors having a photo ready, whether that's a great shot of your book, but more often than not, if they want the story behind the story in the person, a a photo of you, and I, I have to stress, this isn't the time for sending your grainy Facebook photo. They want a decent high res image of you. I've got one of me casually leaning against a bookshelf. And it's, very it casual. works really well. Very, very <laughs> casual. Head, head cocked to the side. And the thing you don't see in the photo is my two children are on the bed opposite playing with each other while my husband was taking the photo. But that's the story behind the story. But then, yeah, having a photo ready, if they send around a photographer, they'll often be led by you. So with good housekeeping, they did send a photographer and they asked me if I knew of a local cafe. And luckily I did. And it was a great quite quirky independent cafe that had some nice artwork and they sent hair and makeup which I have to stress doesn't happen often before anyone gets excited (laughs) it's rare it's rare and it was a lovely treat as I had a baby at that time so it was a nice it was like a spa day so you have they're few and far between more often than not they'll ask you for a photo um and that's really it it's thinking of the questions they might ask and it's just being as helpful and as accommodating as you can and the thing I must stress is the easier you can make their life, the better it is and the more chance there it is that they'll cover your story and also be receptive to stories from you in the future. And I just to roll back, actually, and I was talking about how, when emailing then the story, I wouldn't attach a photo. I wouldn't go and attach a one megabyte picture because often they have very limited email capacity and they wouldn't want to open it just in case it's spam. Because just as you mentioned with your podcast, they get any manner of random Mm. pictures that are irrelevant or not even aimed at them. So never attach anything to a first email is basically never never attach anything to a first email. You can always mention in the email if you need pictures or more information. That's always really helpful because sometimes they're so quick and they're on such a deadline. They might just print a paragraph of what you've got and you're like, oh, I wish I'd mentioned a photo. So offer that up in the body of the email. Just say I've got pictures if you need. Do get in touch for more information. And and it's as simple as that, really. And like I say, we can dress it up and overthink it, but it is simply giving them what they want. And it goes back to know the publication you're uh, pitching. And by that, you only need to necessarily, you, know, you might only need to read a couple of articles or listen to a few of their podcasts or read a couple of their stories online. 
but just get a feel because I think there's nothing worse than poorly pitching something inappropriately to the wrong person. Yeah, yeah. Just on timeliness, because I mean, my this book pilgrimage as we speak. I did a Kickstarter, but it's coming out officially. It's on pre-order for the first mm-hmm. of May, so I've still got a little bit of time. We're recording this mid-March, so this is about six weeks before the official launch of the book. But pilgrimage is a kind of timely thing. But that's when the book comes out. I could keep pitching it forever. Really, I'm not intending to write another book on pilgrimage. So when we're doing this, can we do pitches for older books, or does this really need to be timely absolutely you can and the thing to bear in mind is again it depends on the angle if you're pitching it saying hi this is a new book and haven't I done great then yes it has to be timely but if it's a story around the book so the fact that you like I say for example you've won a new award then that's um the story is that you've won the award but it's about a book and that might be a book that you wrote last year and it's just won an award. Or if, for example, you're building your business and you've recruited a couple of PAs, a couple of members of staff, your books might be your books might be years old, and you're continuing to write books. But the story is about the fact that you're growing. So it depends on the angle. Like I say, if you're talking about a new book coming out, then that's slightly different. But most of the media I've had has been on different angles. The story, like I say, the story behind the story, and that's just run and run. So the Metro article that came out. I think it was middle of 2020, but the book, sorry, middle of 2022. So we're going back to last year, but it was about, they pitched the secret diary of the arranged marriage and they mentioned it at the end with a link and the secret diary of an arranged marriage came out in 2020. Mm. So it depends on, so often when it's sort of, and I call it, I don't want to overcomplicate, but sometimes you can call it a case study or something that's not time sensitive. That's when you don't have to worry so much about your books being older. But other examples are, I get a lot of love from my London magazine, because that's where I used to live. And the book is first based up north, but then it goes into London. And they get in touch with me, or I get in touch with them, and we have a conversation when the new book has come out, or it's coming out. Mm. Yeah, so it depends on how you pitch it. No, that's really helpful because also, I mean, you mentioned at the beginning about the imposter syndrome and it's so, I say it's funny, it's completely natural. And I've been doing this 15 years now and I still have imposter syndrome. And which is why I mostly avoid traditional media because I don't want to have to deal with the, oh, you're just an indie author or whatever. But I do think things have changed now. And certainly with this book, Pilgrimage, I really want to push my comfort zone a bit. But coming back to another reason I don't do it is, And this is where we need to say, is it worth the time and the energy, right? Because back in 2008, I did all of this. I was in Australia. I got in the national press. I got on national TV. I did all the things with traditional media and I got all the results and I didn't sell hardly any books because I guess, well, the books weren't in the bookshops, but also traditional media is pretty much more scattergun. And like you're talking about, okay, mum walking and dictating, does that translate into book sales? So this it comes down to the question, is PR worth it? Because we may not get book sales from it. Like even if you get on national TV, you're not going to sell 200,000 copies of your book that day. So is it worth it? You're absolutely right in asking that question. And what I would say, and any PR person worth their salt would say, PR alone isn't the answer to everything. It sits in alongside all of your marketing. So the thing I say about PR is I would never say, it would be false of me to say, oh, write this press release and go to this journalist. And like you say, they'll print it and your sales will spike. It doesn't necessarily, there are exceptions to the rule, which I'm going to go on to in a minute, but it doesn't necessarily work like that. What PR does is you're using it alongside all your branding. So to give you an example, it has so many other areas to leverage. If you're featured in a magazine or a newspaper or you go on a podcast, you can then add that to your about information on your website. You can add it to your email signature as featured in. You can add it to any ad copy for any Facebook ads or Amazon ads. You can share it with your newsletter so, but you suddenly have another talking point. It gives you gravitar that you don't get from, and I should say, I use Amazon ads and I do use pay-per-click because I wouldn't just do PR. I think it needs to sit with other things like your TikTok and your other areas. 
it's a complement to everything you do. So another example is when I get great media coverage, I always share on my social media and people that are sort of thinking about buying my book go, oh, that's amazing. Right. I've just ordered your book or what well, it gives you more content. So with your podcast and your blog post, you have more content to add and write, oh, and I was featured here. It gives you the gravitas that I would say money can't buy. And it is about leveling up. You're absolutely right that a lot of certainly national non-niche publications are scattergun. And you're right, because they are read far and wide and not necessarily people looking for those books, but it's planting that seed. But within that, I want to add, there are also niche publications which do really make a difference. And as a point, I actually was on the self-publishing show podcast about priceless publicity. And that is PR because it was me pitching my story and speaking about it. And I got a spike in sales because it was very niche to the audience of authors who were interested in doing their own PR. But in your answer, I would say, give it the time it deserves. So I wouldn't say, right, pause the book you're writing and just spend two weeks learning about PR. The reason I wrote up or, or I wouldn't say hire an agency and spend four or five figures a month, there is a place for that. And the big corporates who don't have time to do their own PR do outsource and it makes sense for them because they need to be seen and they need to be making noises on a sort of peripheral level um, about their brand. But for an independent um, author, I would say, do it in your own time around your business. And I use my own example. Life is quite full. I have two small children. So I'm not hammering on the phone, speaking to every national, every local. I, I simply don't have the time. So I am getting PR as and when I can around my business. It's bubbling along. And it's something you certainly can do in your own time and give it the right amount of time to get yourself publicity. But it's very effective. And like I say, it gives you things that aren't so tangible, aren't so measurable. And it's the things that really help build your brand over time, show that you're basically a serious contender as an author. And, if and you know, that in turn, it does lead to sales. They might not be the obvious sales. They might not be the spike necessarily, but they will trickle through. So I wouldn't say stop everything you're doing. I would say it's great to learn and do alongside your business because over time it really doesn't help. And quite simply, if I didn't believe in it, I wouldn't be doing my own. <laughs> yeah. And the book is excellent. I mean, you obviously sent me a review copy. I've also ordered it in paperback because it's one of those books I'm going to put on my desk and like look at and go, right, I could just do something. I could just do a little pitch. And you've definitely given me some ideas for my book pilgrimage. And I guess for people listening, it's got to be the right book. You know, it's got to be the one that you feel perhaps has the most stories because some like I've got 40 books a lot of people listening have a lot of books <laughs> so it's almost like the book is definitely not the point anymore but it is that story behind the story so that's been super useful so where can people find you and your books both fiction and non-fiction online so, available everywhere I'm wide with my books so the usual retailers Amazon Kobo Google Play and also and I'm a big fan of this you can order from your local library if you request the book and I'm quite passionate about that I think in this time I think it's really great for people to be able to go and use their library so yeah you can get my books everywhere brilliant well thanks so much for your time Halima that was great thank you for having me So I hope you found the discussion with Halima interesting and hopefully you'll be able to get some mainstream press with her tips. And of course, remember, you could always try using ChatGPT to help you write your press release. It's super useful to be able to do things like book marketing. So let me know what you put into action. Tweet me at The Creative Pen, leave a comment on the blog or the YouTube channel or email me joanna at thecreativepen.com. So next week, I am very excited to share an interview with Kevin Kelly about his new book, Excellent Advice for Living, Wisdom I Wish I'd Known Earlier. Now, I am a super fan girl of Kevin, so it's one of those interviews where you will hear awe and respect in my voice. <laughs> Kevin wrote the iconic blog post, A Thousand True Fans, back in March 2008, at the beginning of my author career and the beginning of this last 15 years of the creator way of life, I guess. Um, and it reverberated around the community then and still echoes today, perhaps even stronger. The premise being that you don't need to hit the bestseller lists or be famous to have a creative career. You could just connect, just <laughs> connect with a thousand true fans and make a living. 
He started Wired Magazine, which is one of my go-to technology positive resources and a conference I love to attend. I always learn from. And later, his book, The Inevitable, helped me think about AI and how things are going to shape out. I still re- I still recommend that book. It's called The Inevitable. And so his new book, Excellent Advice for Living, is what we talk about. But I was able also to ask him about AI. And Kevin shares AI created art every day on his uh, Instagram channel. So that is coming up next week. In the meantime, happy writing and I'll see you next time. Thanks for listening today. I hope you found it helpful. You might also like the backlist episodes and show notes available at thecreativepen.com forward slash podcast. You can also get your free author blueprint at thecreativepen.com forward slash blueprint. If you'd like to connect, you can tweet me at The Creative Pen or find me on Facebook at The Creative Pen. See you next time. <laughs>